Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hey everyone, I'm here before the episode starts to bring you learning moments with Amy. Now that I've been podcasting and advocating for a few years, my understanding of endometriosis, as well as the issues that our community faces, well, they've really evolved and progressed over the years. So I've been going through our earliest episodes because I want to make sure that these have accurate information in them. So first thing in this episode is that even though we clearly say in the introduction that there is no endometriosis diet and that the way that we eat to feel our best is individual, I noticed listening back that the language that we used still subconsciously upheld an idea that there is a specific endometriosis diet. And so throughout this episode, I kept referring to the endo diet instead of saying something like my specific diet or my way of eating or my endo diet. And so by using the Instead of my when saying endo diet, it sounds like we're declaring that there is like one and only diet for endometriosis, like the endo diet. But again, there's not, right? So it is all very, very individual. So I just want to point out that was really a poor language choice on our part. And I just wanted to reiterate that there is no endometriosis diet and that it is very specific to each person how we eat to feel our best. And then the other thing that I want to point out in this episode is that at some points I say like, oh, you know, I follow my specific diet to feel better. But what I mean is that I follow my specific diet because it helps me to feel my best. And my best is not better. I am not symptom-free. I am still struggling, but I have less symptoms than before, and my quality of life has improved. So when I say that I follow my diet to feel better, I mean to feel better relatively compared to how I felt before, but not to be like, I'm better and I'm not sick anymore, because I still am. The last thing I want to mention is that we emphasize in this episode how much of a struggle it was for each of us to change our diets. I think there's multiple reasons why it was such a struggle, but two main reasons are, one, because of mindset, which is what we talk about in this episode today. I had this mindset that was really hard to break for like almost a decade that it just wasn't fair. And I really felt like a victim. I didn't want to be sick. I mean, who does? But the anger and the injustice that I felt were so strongly present for so many years 
And I just, I loathed having to change my diet and cook my food. I wanted to eat whatever I wanted with no consequences. So for me, it took a really long time to come to terms with the reality that this isn't true for me. And to change my perspective, to see that learning to take care of and support myself around my eating isn't a punishment, but it's something that I can do to improve my quality of life. And that's what we discuss in this episode. Um, But I do want to point out that, of course, it isn't just all about mindset. And I now know that had I approached my diet change in a different way, it probably would have been so much easier and I wouldn't have struggled so much. But really, I wasn't aware of any of this at the time. So what do I mean? You know, it's all going to be individual for us. But to give a quick list of what I think would have helped me immensely is working with a registered dietitian, working with a mental health professional, learning to cook and add in a variety of foods to my diet before eliminating my worst trigger foods, having the mindset of replacing foods instead of eliminating them, learning about blood sugar, fats, and proteins so that I wouldn't be on a blood sugar roller coaster all the time, and so I could have felt fuller for longer, like I do now. Becoming aware of diet culture and unlearning diet culture beliefs. Um, So letting go of thinking, for example, that food is good or bad, which it's not. Exploring my relationship with food and how to adjust cravings that are for emotional reasons and not for hunger. And I think it's really important to mention that in the past several years, I've been able to address some of the reasons why food made me so sick in the first place. You know, I got help with my digestive health. I treated SIBO. I downregulated my nervous system, which has really helped me to be in rest and digest and to have less stress-induced bowel movements. Getting excision. I got excision of my bowel endo and the adhesions on my bowel. I went on testosterone hormone replacement therapy. You know, and all of those have really improved my food intolerances diminished my food flares, and ultimately allowed me to keep expanding the range of food that I eat. You know, for a long time, improving my flares associated with food was just about controlling what I ate. Uh, But for me now, almost two decades after I changed my diet, I've come to realize over the years that it's this entire holistic approach, and that has made it so much easier to sustain And ultimately, it's improved both my physical and mental health. And that was the point of the diet change in the the first place, right? Was to improve my quality of life. All right, thanks for joining Learning Moments with Amy. And we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about shifting our mindset around diet. In the past, we discussed limiting beliefs around illness. So now we wanted to tackle the topic of limiting beliefs around diet. Many of us follow a paleo diet or a gluten-free diet or a sugar-free diet. 
or you mix and match. Or in Amy's case, she takes all of them off the shelf, puts them in a cart and takes them home. I follow all those things. <laughs> She's annoying, we know. <laughs> hey! But I mean, it, it takes practice to follow those diets and it's not easy at the beginning. Amy and I have both been following the diets that we follow for over a decade. So we're a little bit better at it at this point, but at the beginning, it was not easy at all. We want to clarify that there is no actual endo diet or endometriosis diet. There is no correct way to eat with endometriosis. As people, we should eat nutrient-dense food that makes us feel good and doesn't lead to disordered eating patterns. So if you're down to eating very few foods because, you know, all food makes you sick, if you're just eating, for example, rice or chicken or toast every day, then we do recommend that you reach out to a nutritionist to help you introduce foods back into your diet. And we've mentioned this before, but working on our gut health can immensely, immensely help us when it comes to digestive problems. Things like digestive enzymes, supplements to help stomach acid, addressing SIBO or gut dysbiosis, getting tested for food intolerances, and so much more can really help us to have less symptoms and better digestion. And for many people, what helps them feel their best with endometriosis is an anti-inflammatory diet. And we do have a really good episode coming up on tips for lowering inflammation via diet and lifestyle. But there is no one way to eat to feel our best. What we eat is very individual and may depend on our health conditions, culture, our religion, and so much more. So for simplicity's sake, even though we will say the endo diet throughout this episode, we are using this term to speak about any of the dietary changes you put in place to help your endo symptoms, be that gluten-free, low histamine, paleo, no nightshades, low FODMAP, etc. So my, quote, endo diet is not the same as Amy's, quote, endo diet, which is not the same as your, quote, endo diet, or anyone else's. So when we do say endo diet, we are saying it with quotes every time, and we definitely aren't referring to diet culture or eating for weight loss at any time throughout this episode. The other thing that we wanted to say before we started was that this is a judgment-free zone. I hope you know that after being friends with us for this long, but <laughs> we do not judge people. Then why are you always judging me? Okay, because you were always judging me. Okay, true that. <laughs> but apart from us gently and in a funny way judging each other and then making fun of ourselves, this is a judgment-free zone about what you do or what you don't do. We're not going to shame people for the choices they make about their food. It's your body. It's your choice. You can eat and enjoy whatever foods you like. You don't have to follow a special diet. You don't have to follow an endo diet. It's a waste of energy to judge people. So when we talk about this, it's from a place of wanting to enable you to, if you choose to make a change, to give you information to make the change that might be best for you. To make it easier. Yes. So you don't struggle like me and Brittany did for years Forever. and years and years on end. So you can say, Changing my diet was easier than climbing Mount Everest. Changing my diet was easier than mounting a horse. That's impressive. And you don't have to agree with us. So if you're like, I don't like that, I disagreed, that's okay. We're here to offer options. And if you like an option and you want to try it, we're just here to make that option easier. So no judgment, no trying to force any choices on each other. We are all our own people. Well, Brittany, remember that when I start talking and you start making fun of me. Excuse me? 
You making fun of me. <laughs> so the first thing I want to talk about is Brittany's attitude. Oh! <laughs> Towards <Shit>. food. <laughs> You're so funny. Thank you. Um, that's what a lot of our ratings say. So I <laughs> so do. That wasn't shade. Like, you are very funny. <laughs> By the way, seriously, to everyone who has left us a rating for the podcast on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, Thank you so much because some they of the bring us joy. Some of the things you guys write are so sweet, and we just love knowing that you appreciate the podcast and that it's helping you, and that you think we're funny. And every I time know, we get one, we're like, "Oh my god, let's read it right away!" I know when you say <laughs> you two are so funny, you really mean Amy is so funny, but you don't want to hurt Brittany's feelings. So mm-hmm, I'm sure that's what they mean. <laughs> we'll let you believe that. <laughs> And for anyone who is going to leave a rating for the podcast in the future, you can always name drop me, Amy, over here <laughs> and say how funny I am. <laughs> Clearly, she needs some self-assurance about her humor. Validate me. Amy, you oh. are a very funny person. Thank you. And you are valid. Thank you. <laughs> how come it is so hard to have self-worth? Well, this is a whole episode for a whole other podcast. <laughs> So today we're going to talk about attitude, not just Brittany's, but also my own yep. attitude about food in general. So Brittany, you're gluten-free because mm-hmm. you're celiac. How long have you been gluten-free? Um, however old you are in fourth grade. <laughs> Ten years old. <laughs> okay, then 19 years. Oh my God. <laughs> Wow, 19 years. Okay, you got me beat. I've been on the paleo diet for 14 years. So basically, I am gluten-free, grain-free, sugar-free, dairy-free, joy-free. Just kidding. And at first, all of these limitations felt really impossible to follow. But now it definitely feels more effortless to eat this way than it once did. So, Brittany, what about you? Like, what do you think now of your gluten-free diet? I think it's become easier for me and also societally. It's more widely acknowledged and known now, so there's a lot more options for gluten-free people. But as soon as you get practice in how to look out for gluten and ingredients and how to avoid gluten, it becomes a lot easier to do it and to stick to it. So Brittany just said I was annoying, so I know I just said it's pretty (laughs) effortless now. But Brittany interrupted me since I asked her a question. I realized I hadn't finished my train of thought. So, (laughs) So I wanted to say... So I don't sound like someone pompous over here on her high horse, like, <laughs> that, that was a horse sound? <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was terrifying. <laughs> Is that a, like a ghost horse? Like... I'm not over here on my high horse. I want you to know that I tried to ride a horse when I was about 22, and it was the most terrifying thing of my life. I got on the horse, and then I had to be like physically taken off the horse because I had a panic attack, and oh, I was no. shaking so badly. and. This little boy who was about seven years old, who was fully, clearly trained in horseback riding, had to, like, get on the horse and bring the horse back. wow. Hey, your first time versus, you know, someone who's done it a lot. Doesn't matter the age. It was embarrassing. I was a grown woman being taken off the horse. And this, like, little (laughs) kid just climbed up and took the reins. He's like, okay, see you later. (laughs) Took off. Well, see, the age doesn't matter. It's the time and experience. So same thing with the endo diet. It doesn't matter how old you are when you start it. It's how long and how much practice and commitment you put into it. Because at the beginning, you're going to get paralyzed on the top of a horse. (laughs) Continuing my train of thought with Brittany. Talking over it again. (laughs) I'm sorry you get derailed so easily. (laughs) Not my fault. (laughs) 
Well, basically what I wanted to say with that is that changing my diet, changing from the standard, typical American diet, the SAD diet as it's commonly called, the standard American diet, but changing from the standard American diet to my endometriosis diet has literally been the hardest thing that I have ever done. Harder than riding that horse, although that was... (laughs) Sounds like it was very hard. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty traumatic. I also hate heights. I know a horse is only about six feet off the ground, but (laughs) the whole thing came together. (laughs) It was just a trifecta of terrible. There's something, a moving animal that is not in my control. It was horrifying. (laughs) It really was. I literally had a panic attack. Note to self, do never take Amy horse riding ever. (laughs) Never take me on a horse. (laughs) Never do that. (laughs) But changing our diets is really, really hard. And I think for a lot of us, it's literally one of the hardest things that we do So I want to put some scale to how difficult changing your diet can be. So I'm going to ask Amy some, was it harder than, and she's going to ask me some. So Amy, Mm -hmm. was it harder than packing up all your belongings and moving to a foreign country? Yeah. For me, changing my diet was way harder than moving to Spain or moving to Japan. Because that was like fun and exhilarating and it was really hard and the language barrier and the visa and getting the job. It is quite an obstacle and quite a challenge, but it's not the same as changing my diet. Okay, I'm going to ask you one. Was changing your diet as hard as fostering puppies? Which is really hard because (laughs) (laughs) fostering puppies is a handful. I currently foster puppies till they get adopted, and it's a lot of work because they're babies, and they're, they pee everywhere, and they're needy, but they're so cute. So it's hard, but not nearly as hard as changing my diet. Okay, Amy, how about this one? Was changing your diet as difficult as having two invasive surgeries in four months? If you're referring to my 2018... The year of the surgery, yes. (laughs) (laughs) The year of being cut open. Or my 2018 surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Surgical events. (laughs) The big slice. The ultimate slice, as it was called. (laughs) To lighten things up at work, I called the surgery the ultimate slice. (laughs) (laughs) Which may or may not be inappropriate right now. I'm not sure. But at least that's how we refer to my surgery colloquially because we like humor. Um, was it as hard as having two surgeries? It was harder than having two surgeries because I just feel like changing your diet, not that it doesn't have an endpoint, but the surgeries were really scary, but there's a very clear, like on this day, I'm having surgery and then I'm going to recover for three months to a year. I mean, probably, I think it takes like a full year, honestly, to really fully recover from surgery. And then, yeah, it's like the past. Just changing your diet, you're continually confronted by food choices and obstacles and the workroom donuts. And it's like constantly being put in your face, your temptations of your diet. So yeah, for me, it was harder than surgery. All right, Brittany, I got one for you since I see we're going for it. <laughs> we're laying it. Was in. changing your diet harder than climbing Mount Everest? 
Oh, wow. <laughs> no, no, Brittany hasn't done that. Wow. I mean, I was going to like go with that. Okay. <laughs> but I kind of feel like changing your diet would be harder than climbing Mount yeah, Everest. Yeah, yeah. Because again, it's over once it's done. There's no food on Everest. <laughs> no, just lots of snow. <laughs> you should probably change your diet while climbing Mount Everest. <laughs> That's a great way to resist temptation. Yeah, there's literally nothing but what you've brought with you. <laughs> okay, was changing your diet harder than getting through a panic attack because I know you have anxiety and sometimes you deal with panic attacks and they are so sudden they can build and just come on. But what is harder, do you think? I would say that in the moment of a panic attack, it would be tempting to say that the panic attack is harder. But outside of it, I would say that dealing and living with anxiety is less difficult for me than changing my diet, especially since my diet personally, I found contributes to my anxiety symptoms. So changing my diet is ongoing, and so can anxiety be as well. But the diet is just confronting in every situation, and it's so social that food is so woven into our culture and into workspaces and personal spaces that I'm confronted with food options much more than I'm personally am confronted with triggers for my anxiety. So I would say still that changing my diet was harder. Okay, I feel like Brittany just said exactly what I said but in a much more eloquent way. So we're going to give her that one because we're just going to go back and delete what I said. Brittany always says it Everything better. Everything you say is valid and valuable, okay? Thank you, Brittany. Thank you. All right. My last one's a doozy for you. Ooh. You ready? Mm-hmm. Was changing your diet more difficult than living through a period? <gasps> oh, yeah. That was like hit it home run. I don't want to diminish what my periods were before excision surgery, which I've mentioned so many times. I would be writhing in pain and literally screaming and pacing frantically and vomiting and lose control of my bowels. Yay. And it would be quite messy. (laughs) Then (laughs) there would be a lot to clean up after going through all of that pain that at times lasted for three to five hours. And then the after pain that lasted for two days where I literally could not get out of bed without assistance. So it was really, really, really hard. And it would happen monthly. But I don't know. I feel like I'm going to say that changing my diet has been on par with the difficulty of getting through crippling, debilitating, excruciating pain. I think it's on par because just changing my diet was honestly, one of the hardest things that I have done in my whole life because I struggled with my mindset towards my diet for about probably five years before I even started to embrace my diet. Like I actively with everything in my body hated my diet and hated, hated food. And my relationship with food was like so messed up, which we're going to talk about in a future episode about our relationship with food. But debilitating pain, it's really, really hard. So I don't want to say like one was, I just want to say they're on, for me, they've been on par. When I think of the most difficult things I've done in my entire life, I would say they're, for me, they're like, they're equal. And remember that this was a scale. So to say that experiencing a period with debilitating pain and changing your lifestyle and diet, multiple, every single Excuse you. We're talking about an instance here. Every month since I was 16 years old 
Although when I was 16, that debilitating pain lasted less. It lasted for like 40 minutes. Oh, or only 40 minutes. An hour. <laughs> but as I aged, it turned from hours to days. What day, a nice gift. To, to days. Yeah, everyone wants, nice everyone wants their hours to turn into days. <laughs> of debilitating pain. <laughs> with their free pain. time. Yeah. Okay, now with their Wrong choice Menstrual life. cycle. <laughs> no, but what I mean is like to say that those things are on par is to say that when you're exploring and searching, changing your diet, know that it is such a difficult thing to do. And we know how difficult it is to do because we've had to do it. So don't get frustrated at yourself. And you're like, this shouldn't be this hard. No, it is that hard. It is really, really hard to go against the grain, go against culture, and to choose a way of eating that is different. So don't feel discouraged if you're in the middle of that or just starting to explore that. Remember, in our scale, it's on par with experiencing endometriosis periods. So that's pretty extreme. Yeah, on Amy's scale. On the Amy scale. <laughs> on the in 16 years of endo scale. Which honestly is the only <laughs> scale that should count. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just, we don't want to, we want to talk about changing our mindset, but we wanted to preface with this in 16 years of endo changing your diet scale because we don't want it to diminish how hard it is to change your diet. So we don't want to just jump in and be like, Use a different language like can instead of can't and things that we are going to talk about, actually. But we just we want you to know that we're coming from a place of like, this is really, really hard. And we acknowledge that. And we're not just like, think differently and be positive. And because we've mindset. also done this. Yeah, like we've gone through this. and been like, that's stupid. I hate it. But then when you like actually start doing it, you're like, OK, it helps. So we're coming from a place of we've been in the trenches and we still are in the trenches because it's ongoing. It never ends being in a different diet. I mean, if we want to talk about food and trenches, I know that Amy is in the trenches every single time she hears, smells, or sees cheese. <laughs> I think in my past life I was probably a mouse. That, that sounds right. <laughs> Squeaky and small. Very annoying and in places you don't want her. Wow. Brittany. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I was talking about the mouse. I didn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Cute and fuzzy and little and fluffy. <laughs> and obsessed with cheese. <laughs> well, cheese is really yummy. So get off my back. I don't blame you. Cheese is delicious. <laughs> so how long ago did you cut out the precious, beautiful cheese? I've been living without my food love, my long lost love. But we're still pen pals. <laughs> I've been living without cheese. For probably nine years. That's a long time. Yep. And you're still talking about it. <laughs> People are allowed to talk about the things that they love, Brittany. Okay, I know. I'm In sorry. fact, it's encouraged. Okay, I'm sorry. Talk about what you love. I love cheese. Can I talk about French croissants? If they have cheese in them, fine. I mean, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> we can go to Paris right now. <laughs> Get you an eclair. We'll, ooh, we'll go. <laughs> All the beautiful gluten. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, focus. Okay, sorry. I was thinking about cream puffs. <laughs> the attitude that I had back when I was 19 years old, until I was about 25, when I began the endo diet, was an attitude of, this sucks. This sucks because I can't eat the foods that I love. And how can I change my diet and not eat the foods that I love? Seriously, how? How on earth, Brittany, am I supposed to live without pizza? How? 
Mm. I'm Italian. I need pasta. I mean, that's like Hello. true, though. Like it's in my genes. My mom makes the best spaghetti and meatballs with a homemade sauce with homemade <laughs> meatballs. You're bringing out my Italian in me. <laughs> As a half Italian, it hurts. <laughs> How am I supposed to live without a beautiful French baguette? They're so hard to make gluten-free, and I miss them so much. Oh, my God. Crunchy on the outside. Soft. soft on the inside. <laughs> like a little bunny rabbit's fur. Like soft and slightly sour and crunchy on the outside. How am I supposed to live without a French baguette? We're going to take a moment so Brittany can calm down and get off, <laughs> and get off the French It's been a long time since I've had a French baguette. Cliff. That she that I currently find her teetering on. It was French croissants before. Now it's French baguette. Clearly, I have a type. <laughs> French cheese will be next. Seriously, Brittany, don't go there. Now I'm on the ledge. <laughs> We're gonna jump together. Hold my hand, Brittany. Okay, let's go. If we jump together. It won't hurt so bad. <laughs> what about you listening? Is there any food that you feel like you will die without? Because it's relatable. <laughs> cookies. Oh. My mom's peanut butter chocolate chip cookies. Popcorn. That's like the only reason you watch a movie, right? Dark chocolate. <gasps> mm. And now, of course, that language sounds dramatic. Oh, I'll die without my French croissant. Oh, however. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I, I don't speak. You went pretentious with it. I don't speak French. I did my best. Okay. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Thank you. That kind of language around food is so common. Like, how will I live without? I'll die without. I couldn't possibly not have. Oh, I'll never give up that food. Like, just food is so important to us, I feel like. And I think that really highlights how a lot of us feel when we start a diet for our health. Because I know when I started the endometriosis diet, I felt deprived. If I could describe the diet with one word, ooh, no, I would say restrictive. What about you, Brittany? How would you describe the gluten-free diet for you? Not now, but now, in the beginning. Now I would describe the end of diet as empowering freedom, but we'll get there. We'll get there. That's In the, the beginning, <laughs> I would say lonely. Aww. Yeah, being a 10-year-old who can't have any cake at a kid's birthday party is pretty lonely. So starting a new diet when nobody else around you is doing it is really isolating and it can be lonely. Yeah, I hear that. And I think it feels sad. I remember one Christmas when we were going to go eat at my, at the time, my boyfriend, so my ex-boyfriend's family's house. And they were all talking about Christmas dinner and Christmas roast and all the dishes and side dishes and desserts. And I literally couldn't eat any of that. and. They were all talking about it, and I was getting sadder and sadder. I literally had to leave the room <laughs> and put on music in a different room so that I didn't have to hear him and his family talking about all the delicious foods they were in. And they were, like, salivating while they talked because, I mean, yeah, like. It's kind of it, what you do. You all stand in the kitchen. You talk about the food you're going to have. Yeah. you know, <laughs> It's and, a society thing, especially and, in America. Well, he was English. Well, see, then it's all over the world that they do that to us. Cruel. Cruel everywhere. Where people unite and just talk about <laughs> People food. unite to talk about food we cannot have. 
Wow, wherever everyone. you go, wow. I bet even if you were in Antarctica, people would be talking about <laughs> that sardine sandwich they're gonna make later. I don't know what you they hear the Antarctica. seals, <laughs> and they're just talking about the fish they caught. You're like, Can people. Just I mean, that's just probably accurate. <laughs> so I feel like the reasons why the endo diet slash any diet is so lonely, restrictive, depressing, limited. Etc. Etc. Insert your own descriptive word. (laughs) Adjective. Sad adjective here. (laughs) Is like I know for me, I was very focused on what I felt were the limitations of the endo diet, and so the words that I used to describe my food choices were always, "I can't, I can't have hummus, I can't have cinnamon rolls, I can't have oatmeal cream pies, I can't have." all the ice cream I want. I can't have donuts. I can't have chips. I can't have coffee. Neither can I. (laughs) (laughs) And the list goes on and on and on of all the things that we can't have. And people would look at me with such pity in their eyes. And they would ask me, oh my goodness, well, what can you eat? Nothing. Nothing. Can't (laughs) eat anything. Okay, it's a joke-ish because... But, like, also, we both said that (laughs) at some point. (laughs) I literally, I think probably in my lifetime, I've had this conversation at least 100 times with 100 different people because when you follow a special diet, people do ask, like, what can you eat? What can't you eat? And so I was always so focused on what I can't eat, and I would list and list and list and list. And I'd be like, there's no food left. Like, I'm just going to say nothing. I can eat nothing. I literally can't eat anything. And it's hilarious because me and the person I was talking to, we would completely forget that there are these things called... Like what? Vegetables? Fish and chicken. (gasps) Nuts? Seeds. Oh, my goodness. Fruit. It's a world of possibilities. Dark chocolate. Mm. I mean, there's actually a lot of food. I think for me, like growing up in the 90s. What a wonderful time to be alive. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> our kitchen, although my mom cooked dinner every night, our kitchen was full of processed food because that was just coming out. These, you know, convenient packaged dinners. Frozen meals. That will make your life easier. And so we've consisted on that a lot of the times. and. When you can't eat processed packaged dinners or gluten, which is in most things, and then you have no idea how to cook, like zero idea, like zip, like zilch, like nothing. Like I had no idea how to cook. So all my food came from dining out or buying something and microwaving it or putting in the oven some already pre-made thing. So yeah, then if you have a bunch of vegetables, but you have no clue what to do with them besides make a salad, right? You're like okay, literally, I can eat nothing on this diet. When I was in my mid-20s, I realized that the diet I was following, which was the anti-inflammatory diet, was actually pretty much identical to the paleo diet. And when I entered in the paleo community, I learned, and I think this was my biggest, most impactful shift that made such a difference from going on hating the endo diet and finding it so restrictive is that there was this huge shift to stop focusing on my limitations and my can'ts 
and to start focusing on what I could eat. Because part of what I love about the paleo community is it's not really so focused on, well, I can't eat this and I can't eat this. It's really focused on there's such a broad array and variety of foods that we can eat. So how can we prepare recipes that we can eat? And how can we, you know, find more types of lettuce and sweet potatoes and purple potatoes? And there's just so many foods that I had no idea about until I entered into that community, like so many types of oils and vegetables and mushrooms and things that now I eat so effortlessly that that were such foreign concepts to me back when I was just so focused on what I had to avoid in the supermarket and not what I could have. I think the word can't has a lot of language shifts around it in terms of food. So as Amy just mentioned, having the shift from what can't I eat to what can I eat is one. And then another one that's been really integral for me is the shift from I can't eat that to I don't eat that. And this has been really important for me, especially when people asked me about my dietary restrictions, which I don't use that phrase anymore. I say my dietary preferences when I talk to people about them because they are a choice for me. I have chosen to eat in this lifestyle and in this way, so I don't consider them restrictions. They are a preference and a choice. So stopping saying I can't eat that to I don't actually helped me feel empowered about the choice I was making because instead of saying, oh, I can't, I'm unable to, it's not possible, which has all this negative and like heavy weight to it, I would say, I don't eat that or, oh, that's not part of what I eat or that's not included in my lifestyle, my food lifestyle. And it's a positive way to state something that doesn't feel like you're defeated (laughs) because saying I can't feels defeating, but saying I don't gives a little bit more of the power back to me. So that was a big shift for me. Well, and I feel like when we say I can't eat, like I can't eat gluten and I can't eat sugar, well, I could eat them. I mean, technically, Technically. I could eat them. Like one, I don't have an anaphylactic reaction. I'm not actually going to die if I eat them. So I could eat them. And it's not like when I try to lift a cookie to my mouth, it just spontaneously combusts, like it disappears. <laughs> what a superpower that would be, though. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Like, if I could have that. No temptation ever. <laughs> oh, my God. You try. It's just like, dis- you get amazing. it to your mouth, it's gone. You're it's like, dust. I swear, to, I swear to God, I had a peanut butter chocolate chip cookie. Did anyone else see that cookie? Did anyone? There's, That's your superpower. There's oil on my head. There's crumbs. <laughs> that little smudge. Try to lick them. I'm they sure. blow away. <laughs> I'm sure there was a cookie in my hand. Not anymore. It's your superpower. But, you know, we don't, it's not like we literally cannot eat something. So ultimately, what we eat is our choice. And a lot of us make this choice to go on the endo diet because it helps us to feel better. No one forced us to go on the endo diet. We wanted, perhaps although reluctantly, like in my case, (laughs) we wanted to go on the endo diet, which is why we went on it. I went on it dragging my feet, kicking and screaming for about... As most of us do. (laughs) Nine years. But every day I actively made the choice to stay on the diet even though I hated it. So, yeah, I I think that's really nice what you said because it is our choice. And And saying I don't eat that to somebody feels way better than saying I can't eat that. Well, and the other thing is when people say what you said, like, what are your dietary preferences, which I like more than restrictions... Which sounds horrible. It sounds awful. (laughs) But when someone says, so what are your dietary 
preferences and you give them this long list of I don't eat this and I don't eat this and I don't eat this and I don't eat this. Or you give them a list and you say, I eat vegetables and nuts and fish. Suddenly they have a lot more to work with when they want to have a dinner party with you or invite you out to a restaurant. And it's much more enabling for the other person. Like, okay, I can work with this rather than, okay, now I have to think of all the foods that are not on the list of can'ts that they just listed. So it's it's better for everybody. And I think it's really great practice to teach people to refer to them as dietary preferences because people pick up on that language and anything we can do to surround our choices and positivity is a really great move forward. So along those same lines, so we wanted to point out another language preference, which is I have to blah, blah, blah. I have to bring my Tupperwares with me. I have to cook all my own food. Two, I'm going to bring my Tupperwares with me. I'm going to cook all my own food. Said in that tone. Same (laughs) perky. Must replicate you. (laughs) You see, when you just change, you substitute having to going and your whole tone and positivity and level of sunshine and cheeriness just automatically changes. Wow. Well, one's an obligation and one's a choice. And since one is an obligation, fun. Never. Feeling obligated to do something like I have to not eat gluten. I have to cut out sugar. It's a chore, Brittany. Yeah. Oh, it sounds obligation and tiring and horrible. It's like when your mommy's like, Okay, you have to clean your room. No. And you have to not eat gluten. It sounds like I'm like an obligation I didn't sign up for. Like endometriosis? We didn't sign up for that either. <laughs> pretty sure that's an obligation I'm never getting rid yeah, of. Yeah, pretty sure I have to deal with that. <laughs> that's the one we'll keep. We'll no, 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 no. I'm going okay. to deal with that. <laughs> she says with stars in her eyes. And tears. <laughs> so. Well, I think that's that's a really good point because when you're going to do something, it becomes a choice. And I also really like adding context when I say a phrase like that. So instead of just saying, well, I have to stop eating gluten or even just I'm going to stop eating gluten, I like to add some context to kind of like reaffirm why I'm making that choice. So saying something like I'm going to stop eating gluten so that I feel better. Or I'm going to stop eating sugar so that my endo flares go down. Giving context really helps you solidify why you're making that choice. And really, it helps keep you on track. Well, it sounds so much more empowering, Brittany, when you say, I'm going to stop eating sugar to help my endo flares. I feel like if I had made this language shift sooner, my life could possibly have felt easier. I know we talked in the past about the many rules. And by many, I mean many, 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 many to infinity rules that often we have to follow if we want like any chance of a life without pain. I have talked about in previous episodes, all the rules that I have to quote unquote follow And it's true, I I quote unquote have to do a lot of things if I don't want to be in pain daily, but I actually don't have to do them. Like I could do whatever I want. I don't have to exercise daily. I don't have to take a walk. I don't have to do yoga. I don't have to be sugar free. I don't have to be gluten free. 
But we do these things because we want to do them, because we want the opportunity for a better life, a healthier life, a life with less pain, a life with more energy, and hopefully more happiness. So from now on, I'm not going to refer to all the things I quote unquote have to do. I used to have to do. Now I just do them. One of my rules, quote unquote, so they're not going to be rules any longer. So one of the choices, but really for years, this was like the unspoken rule of how I managed my endo, but from now forward to be referred to as a choice that I made was that if I did not want to have diarrhea a dozen times a day, then I cooked. Note how I avoided saying (laughs) I had to. This is a practice. (laughs) Okay, I'm working here because what I would say in the past, okay, let me do the past speak. One of the rules that I had to follow was that if I did not want to have diarrhea a dozen times a day, I had to cook all of my own food to be really careful what I was putting in my body. So a choice that I made for the last 10 years is to cook my own food so that I could feel better and be more in control of my bowels and be able to leave the house and do normal things like normal people do. Wait, you do normal things? Okay, Brittany, way to focus on the fact that I just (laughs) tried to claim you were normal. Framed my entire language. I just did my whole language shift. Well, that's really difficult. No one even cared. No, I do care because that's difficult to do. Now my brain is oozing out my ears. When our well, it's, that's how hard it was. Well, I can see it. It's puddled on the floor. <laughs> but but I think more than just doing it yourself is that societally we all say things a similar way. So to change that is like you have to literally be thinking about it at the moment because. It's so easy to refer to things as rules and restrictions and have tos and can'ts. And that's how our society talks. It's not just us. It's not just people who suffer with endo. It's our whole society. So focusing and shifting these language things is really hard and something that you will have to practice. And you'll catch us saying it wrong. You'll catch yourself saying it wrong because nobody's perfect at it, even after 16 years, 19 years, however long. You've been choosing to eat alternatively. Thank you, Brittany, for validating me. I always will. (laughs) But basically, my point was that my food that I carried around with me in Tupperwares, and I mean that I carried around with me everywhere. When we went to the beach, when we went to the park, when I went on vacation, I literally brought my food with me everywhere. Every time I left the house, And I've been doing that since I'm 20 years old, and now I'm 35, so I've been doing that for 15 years, and taking my food into nightclubs and shopping malls, and it's, let me tell you how I felt my food was in the language that I used in my early 20s. It was a nightmare. My food was a 100% burden to me. I just want you to know I hated I hated my Tupperwares. They were annoying. The food was heavy. Like, literally, if I went away for the whole day, I'd have two or three Tupperwares chock full of food. It was heavy. The container spilled in my bag. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be so cool. I'm going to carry my Tupperware in my purse so no one sees it. 
and had a salad and the oil would spill all over my purse and get everything covered in oil. True story of several times that happened. Sometimes there was no place to eat my food that I brought in my storage containers because, hey, guess what? Restaurants don't want you to eat food that you brought and packed with you in their restaurant. So when we were all hanging out for the whole day in Tokyo, we'd be in a park and we'd be walking around the shopping mall and they'd be like, let's go eat in this restaurant. First, everyone would go in, but I would sit on the sidewalk all by myself, eating alone, my food in my Tupperware. And when I finished, I would go join them in the restaurant because I had to eat too. And it was much better for me to eat and enter in that restaurant with a full stomach than for me to not eat and be like really hungry watching all of them eat food that I could not eat, which felt very sad to me. If I forgot my fork, because I was not very organized during that time, I would have to eat the food with my fingers. Have you ever eaten salad with your fingers? No, (laughs) that's difficult. Yeah. Okay, if it was a hot day, the food would go bad unless I brought a cooler. Learned that one at the beach the hard way. It was like, Oh. oh my God, this Tupperware reeks and my food was ruined i had nothing to eat and i ended up leaving the beach i was like i have to go because you're starving (laughs) i have no food i can't be here with you with my friends and eat here with you guys any longer like i have to i have to go feed myself and by the way this is when i lived in barcelona and tokyo so i didn't like drive around in my car everywhere i didn't have a car so everything was public transport we would travel in the train, in the metro, on foot. So I literally always, like Brittany said, I did always actually have my Tupperwares in my backpack. She used to walk to work with her Tupperwares in her backpack. I used to walk 30 (laughs) minutes to work with my Tupperwares after taking a train for 30 minutes. So yeah, they were literally always with me, like actually on me. Yeah. And maybe that sounds a little like, woe is me, but it was really hard. It's a big undertaking. It was really, really, really hard to always be carrying around my food with me especially to places like when you go to work yeah you bring your lunch then you put it in the fridge and you forget about it but when you're bringing your food to the shopping mall to the nightclub for goodness sake yeah it's really hard and then it's always the question where can I eat this food you know you can't just put your food out in a nightclub so I had to go in a bathroom stall and open a can of tuna and eat my food while being next to the toilet I mean that sounds like it was hell what were my alternatives? It's not healthy not to eat, and I didn't want to stay home. I wanted to go out, and I wanted to enjoy my time with my friends. I wanted to enjoy my life. But the problem was if I ate food when I was out that I didn't make myself, you know, that had risky ingredients in it for my body, then I would almost instantly have a pain flare or waves of severe diarrhea that sent me to the toilet, and sometimes I didn't even make it to the toilet, and other times I would make it to the toilet, and then I would stuck in the toilet for an hour. And of course, I didn't want that. I just wanted to have a nice time out where I felt as well as I could feel, and where I didn't have any mortifying flares in public. Because Lord knows even taking all these precautions, I still had a lot of mortifying flares in public. And so if I was going to be out of my house for more than a couple of hours and I knew that I was going to get hungry and have to eat, then then I would make my food and bring it with me. And honestly, it was hell. I don't even have a witty remark because that just sucks so much to have to have 
such regulation and have to carry so much and have so much forethought, especially living in a place where you can't just leave your food in your car or you can't just go home or you can't just go to the store if you get more. If you didn't bring enough food, you were hungry all day. If your food went bad, you couldn't eat it. If your food spilled, you didn't have it. It's not like you had backup options. Like that's a really scary situation to be in day in and day out. Like you went through a lot with that. That sounds like it was really hard. No, there was a backup situation. It was starvation. Eat whatever you want, (laughs) but then poop yourself. Yeah, that's not really like a plan B. That sounds like a plan P. (laughs) Or a plan D. (laughs) Or a plan P-O-O-P. Yes, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, it was very hard, honestly. And sometimes it is still hard. But I feel like back then, because of the mindset that I had around my Tupperwares, they were just a huge burden to me at that time. And a lot of times all I could think about was how I had found this quote unquote solution to my problem of diarrhea and this quote unquote solution to my problem of endo flares. Because before I went on the anti-inflammatory diet, I had cramps continuously for months. And those months turned into about two years until I found the anti-inflammatory diet. And that was hell, right? So it's like, I did. I found this solution to my problems of pain and diarrhea, which were huge, monumental, devastating, life-crippling problems. The solution was something that I had been desperately searching for for my, seriously, my whole adult life, like since I was 16 years old, trying to find a solution to just not be so sick and just have some semblance of being normal and being able to leave the house. I mean, good Lord, sometimes we just want to leave the house, right? And even so, even with my solution, I was not happy. I felt like the solution was even more exhausting than being sick. I just wanted to be normal. I just wanted to eat whatever I wanted like everyone else. I just felt like it wasn't fair and I hated it. So at some point, around my mid-20s, so yeah, probably about nine years after starting the endo diet and thoroughly, actively hating the endo diet and my food storage containers with literally every ounce in my body, I realized something. And I don't know how I realized it. I read a lot of self-help books during that time. (laughs) Like a lot, a lot about attitude and perspective and mindset and the way that we see our problems. And I just had this moment where it clicked because I got spontaneously invited to a party and I really wanted to go and I didn't have a top or made. So I went to the party and then later I was hungry and I was like, whatever, I'm going to eat something at this party. And I literally left the party crippled, bent over in pain. And I realized something oh my gosh, my food storage containers, my Tupperwares, they are not a burden. It's not about what I've been losing all this time, carrying them around and not being able to eat the foods that I want. And yes, the oil in my purse. And it's not about that. It's about what I'm gaining. 
bringing my meals in Tupperwares, it lets me do the things that I could only dream of doing when my symptoms ran my life. I couldn't leave the house at one point because I was stuck in bed from pain and from fatigue, or I was stuck in the toilet from diarrhea. But when I bring my food in my Tupperwares, do you know what I'm gaining? Freedom. Freedom to leave the house. Freedom to be in control of my bowels. Freedom to have more of a normal life. Freedom to work. And I saw that so clearly. I had been bringing around my Tupperwares for such a long time without fail. And then that one time when I failed and I just saw how quickly and how easily derailed my body got, my endo flared, everything just went haywire, which was really embarrassing, by the way. Yeah, I just, something clicked. I was like, oh my God, these Tupperwares, they're like little angels in my life. They should be glowing gold, you know, and and with halos around them. I'm singing hallelujah chorus. (laughs) (laughs) They're not a burden. They're my freedom. I really love that you came to that realization and you live that out because I can remember in many instances you bringing your food to work and she doesn't just like pack a sandwich for lunch. It's like, here's my lamb chop with my mint chutney and like it's like this beautiful meal she prepares for herself to give herself joy in eating and she'll bring it and people will comment like, Oh, like that looks like it took a lot of time. And she'll say things like, yeah, it was so great to be able to make this meal so that I can have the energy to do my job today. And they're really great ways to remind herself and others that she's making choices every day that benefit her. And that's really amazing. Brittany kind of makes me sound peppy and annoying, but I I swear. (laughs) Sometimes she rolls her eyes at them, but It's like, oh, you're a lunch. I'm like, yes, my lamb chutney. (laughs) I mean, I just added that for effect (laughs) to give you props because you do spend a good amount of time cooking really beautiful meals. For lamb roasts. Yeah, I I was pulling it from source material. (laughs) (laughs) From real life here, Brittany, from real life. But you get asked that quite a lot. And I think it's really nice to have a really positive response about why you're choosing to eat that way and say, oh, yeah, I really like this meal because it helps my brain work the best or I eat this meal because it helps me to have less pain. And those kinds of switches and realizing why you're eating the way you're eating is to actually give you mobility, give you freedom, give you the ability to do things you want to do is a really wonderful thing. It would have been nice had it not taken me nine years to figure out (laughs) that my Tupperwares weren't a burden. That's why we're bringing it to you now so it doesn't take you nine years. (laughs) Like it would have been, honestly, it would have been like really, really nice to have that revelation. I don't know, maybe just about eight years earlier, (laughs) eight and a half. That would have been nice. I mean, I would have even gone for five years earlier. (laughs) Even one year less would have been beneficial. (laughs) Any time less. (laughs) Well, do you, listening, do you have something like this? Like the Tupperwares, things that you... Oh my God, please write me if you care. We want to know if you carry Tupperwares. Tupperwares (laughs) Everywhere. I would love to know that. I mean, solidarity. Yes. <laughs> but if you don't have Tupperwares, is there something that you have that you wish were different that you feel like you have to do to allow yourself to function or feel better? Do you have a task or a routine or something that you do that isn't really your favorite thing or that you feel like is a burden to you? And then you could tell yourself, 
This isn't a burden. This is exciting. Well, I think it's a little far, but kind of a stretch. I'm (laughs) like, yeah, changing your diet is exciting. Yeah, having people like, "Mm." why do you carry on your Tupperware everywhere? It's exciting. It gives me excitement. It's as exhilarating as bungee jumping. Oh my! Like, um, you're (laughs) freak. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think anybody would say that having to use their heating pad at work as they go from meeting to meeting every day is exciting. But that might be your thing. Having to always maybe have a another, heating pad everywhere with you. Maybe in another nine years, I could make that next language shift. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious to me now because now I love my Tupperwares. Like, you come near my Tupperwares, I will slap your hand. She takes great pride in them. I've seen her slap someone's hand away before, okay? <laughs> I will stab your hand with a fork. <laughs> Those are my Tupperwares. My babies. <laughs> She protects them fiercely. If anyone's wondering why Brittany has three small marks <laughs> small in, a, punctures. in a line on her hand. She dropped a Tupperware and tried to pick it up and I got stabbed, okay? <laughs> she was like, I was just helping you. I was just I will never you. help you again. <laughs> Get your filthy hands off my Tupperware. You can wash them with your rubber gloves all by yourself. <laughs> cold, Brittany, cold. <laughs> so thank you, Amy, for that beautiful revelation. <laughs> I loved hearing all about how I shouldn't say can't and shouldn't say have to and all the don'ts and the won'ts and the shan'ts and the can'ts and the lamps. No, that's not right. <laughs> and all of the things that I can or cannot do or should or shouldn't do. Blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Thank you for that beautiful revelation and annoying me with all of the things <laughs> I have to change in order to be happy with my endometriosis. <laughs> Replace the word restrictive with the word empowering. (laughs) Fine, Brittany. If you don't want to be empowered (laughs) and you just want to be restricted and deprived. That's your own choice. It's all in your head anyway. Hold on. Let me slap myself in the face like really hard. (laughs) Just put a smile on your face and all your problems will go away. Hey, that's absolutely 100% true. Mm -hmm. So get the sarcasm away with that no if you put on the happy face you're gonna (laughs) then you're just happy yeah you're gonna be happy hello (laughs) tell that to chemical imbalances in my brain (laughs) everyone knows that (laughs) the fake smile heals all wounds oh yes yes even open gashes okay (laughs) slap a happy smile face bandaid on it it'll fix right up (laughs) yeah that's how a lot of people cure their endometriosis oh okay all right just draw smiley face We're being jokey and sarcastic because these are tips or tricks or life hacks that are thrown oh around. Oh, my God, please. Yeah, Sorry. Life hacks. I hate I the can't. word hack. Don't. <laughs> Me too. Don't That's hack. why I said it. These are endo hacks. It's oh just goodness. just a life. We rename the podcast endo hacks. Please don't. I would die. <laughs> Brittany's like, I quit the podcast. I quit. I'm out. I quit. I'm out. I refuse to be associated right now. with hacks. I hate life hacks. All right. I'll get a new co-host. <laughs> oh, what? Good luck. <laughs> But we're we're being joking and sarcastic because these are terms that are thrown around in the endo community like it's all in your mindset. Things like can't, don't say can't, don't say shouldn't, don't say don't, won't. These are things that we hear thrown around from a place that's not always of love and of having lived through it. Or deep insight. Yes, Just or like deep insight. Superficial and not from a place of empathy. And we really wanted to showcase that we've been through this and we're still going through this. Um, Yeah, because now I'm on the histamine diet. Oh, yay. Fun. I've been in a rage for about 
ever? <laughs> no, like about five months. But now I'm starting to. She's at the point in like this I, podcast right now. <laughs> I know it's good for me and I know it's freedom. And it is freedom. Oh, my God. To eat something and not have a crushing migraine within five minutes and brain fog that actually makes me unable to talk. Yeah, it is. It is freedom to follow my special histamine and endometriosis diet, which are totally different, by the way. But it's really hard. So it's still really, really hard. Like now suddenly I've been confronted after 14 years of following the endo diet with following a new diet and cutting out a whole bunch of new foods that are healthy, by the way, like spinach and tomatoes and raspberries and pineapple, nuts and fish and eggs and a lot of foods that are the staples of my diet. Okay, rage is coming out. Okay. You see, you see, <laughs> the not restrictions, the but they're, they're not because they're freedoms. And I have been trying really hard to see them as freedoms. And I think that there's always going to be an adjustment period. And I, I feel actually like I got over that hump finally. Oh, my goodness. Because I was literally walking around the grocery store flipping off food. I was so... Yeah, that's real. I saw that. I witnessed I was that. so <laughs> angry, you know? It's in the vegetable section like, well, I would get avocados, except I can't. The one time I mentioned an avocado, I had a bird flipped in my face. <laughs> <laughs> and not like a fly bird. To be fair, I was kind of digging it in too. <laughs> oh, please. oh, look at this beautiful oh, no, avocado. All this time about language. Okay, let's go there. I'm going to go there. All this time about language talk and Brittany was going, my God, I don't know how you can do the low histamine diet because you can't have avocado. I, she, Brittany eats an avocado like two times a I day. Okay, not that much, but I love avocado. <laughs> Plus, we live in a part of the U.S. where avocados are just readily available Very all the frequent, time, yes. all year round. Oh, and so Brittany says to me, oh my gosh, if I had to cut out, uh, trying to, um, she was empathizing in the most terrible way Okay, possible. it was a half choke, half well, serious. it was inappropriate <laughs> because I'd just been slapped in the face with mass cell I was trying to syndrome. get her to laugh rather than be angry. <laughs> she did laugh afterwards. Okay. <laughs> I can usually get her to laugh. And she's like, oh, my God, I would die if I couldn't eat avocados. Guacamole is my favorite food. I couldn't live without avocado. I put avocado on everything. They're the staple of my diet. It's how I get my healthy fat. I was like, me freaking too. <laughs> no, I can't eat that. Me freaking She was going to hum the avocado at me. <laughs> oh, my God. So I just want to say, yeah, even 15 years later, Brittany could mm -hmm. not rein in her language. <laughs> Preferences. Yeah, it's it's normal. It <laughs> slips up. It slips out because, again, it's like our culture. This is how we talk. So doing that is a daily thing to be like, okay, I would not die if and I, I could eat avocado. And I almost shoved an avocado pit down her throat. Yeah, she and, almost killed me. I almost no, did die. <laughs> no, literally. And I love Brittany. Brittany soul sisters and best friends forever, seriously. But, yeah, the anger that was inside of me and I had to wrestle with those feelings all over again of, I feel restricted. I feel deprived. I feel frustrated. This is a burden. But I feel happy that I got through those feelings so much faster than the last time. And I kind of feel like that's what life is about. It's just like it's not all going to be peace and happiness and love and it. It'd be nice if it was, but it's not. I mean, with health problems, with endometriosis, we have all these curveballs and so many of us listening we have so many other co-conditions that also put these 
quote-unquote limitations that we have to turn into choices in our life. And it's really, really hard. I feel like now that I'm over that hump of not flipping off all the foods in the grocery Random store <laughs> and especially it happened in summer, which is when like so many really good foods are in season, like cherries and raspberries and pineapples and a lot of things that I love, I, I just suddenly once more like couldn't eat. But this time I was able to process through that much, much faster than the snail's pace that I <laughs> the nine years the nine pace. years compared to like about five months. And now I'm on the low histamine diet for almost a year. And yeah, and once again, like I'm still learning, but it's not not the burden that it was in the first like two to three months of being diagnosed and, and learning that I that I wanted to choose to eat differently to feel better. I mean And ultimately, I think our dietary choices are empowering, but they are empowering, right? And it's very, very empowering that we can make these choices to feel better. And ultimately, we know that not eating something is restricting yourself from that item. And that saying, it's all in your head, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that Taking what can be a lonely, isolating, frustrating, and angry experience or circumstance and shifting the way you feel about it can just bring you less anger, less sadness, and less emotional pain because carrying that around while carrying around endo is just a burden that is way too heavy to bear. So by saying, instead of saying, I have to do something, I'm going to, and I'm choosing to do this, it's just bringing the power back to us when endo sometimes makes us feel so powerless. And that's really the point is that not saying it's all in your mind, but that mindset focuses can really help us to reclaim things that we feel like we've lost control over. Well, Brittany, I'm in control of one, how many avocados go in my mouth, (laughs) which at this point in time is none. How much cheese goes in my mouth, which still none. I'm in control of my Tupperwares, which I want to note have not spilled in my bag in a very long time. Oh, good for you. Because I switched to the screw top lids. Oh, those are a blessing. The ones that snap snap down. The snap lids. Those just like to unpop and then there's stuff everywhere. (laughs) And I also found it's better to get the taller Tupperwares to give more splash room than the long, low Tupperwares. You are a Tupperware connoisseur. Oh my god! <laughs> well, we all have to specialize in something. Yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> Gosh, I wish I had this episode like 12 years ago. <laughs> when I first began my journey on the endo diet. But I've come to realize, Brittany, after listening to this episode, that my biggest enemy was not my Tupperwares. Dun, dun, dun. It's your mind. (laughs) My mind and my mindset. Oh, the humanity. (laughs) Well, our words are so powerful. So I think it's just so important to be mindful of what we say to ourselves because ultimately, as we learned in the episode with limiting beliefs, like the way that we talk to ourselves and the way that we frame our reality actually makes our reality. I don't think to say that changing our diet is hard, I don't think that's a limiting belief. I think that is a hardcore truth. 
is that changing our diet is really hard. We should feel proud of ourselves if you are listening and you followed the gluten-free diet, the sugar-free diet, the Brittany diet, the Amy diet, the flip off all the avocados in the supermarket (laughs) diet. But whatever diet you follow, I just think we should be proud of ourselves for taking these steps consciously and actively to feel better. And even if you're not currently following a diet, just listening and exploring and researching about what may work for your body is still a really positive step in the right direction. So be proud of yourself because food is such an integral part of our society and it's really hard to investigate ways that are out of the norm. So thank you so much for listening today. We hope that you were able to learn new ways of speaking and perhaps shift your mindset about something that you may consider a burden to you that you could now instead consider a freedom. Ooh, waving fireworks and flags and freedom. Oh my gosh. I was very American with that freedom ideal. (laughs) Oh, it's ingrained in me. (laughs) Someone throws up a firework in the air and you're like, wow. That looks like a shape like a Tupperware. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We are on Instagram at in 16 years of endo and we are on the website in 16years.com. 